Welcome to Green City, a weekly radio show and podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on the conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed, more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. This morning, we are starting a new series for Earth Month, focused on our planet under stress and the urgent climate crisis. Olivia Hicks, environmental journalism student at Western Washington in Bellingham, and the digital creator for Your Green Portal website, will be my co-host for this series. So thank you, Olivia. Thank you. Um, Our goal is to give you the facts about where we are with the climate crisis. And if you've been paying attention, you know that it's troubling. But ultimately, we want to give you hope and the urge to act, recognizing that collectively we can support policies and personal actions that will bring real solutions. Our guests today are from the Environmental Law and Policy Center. Steve Falk, Senior Policy Advocate at ELPC right here in Iowa, working to build diverse coalitions that support innovative state and federal policies about water quality, soil health, clean renewable energy, including solar and storage, and clean transportation solutions. And Ann Mesnikoff, Federal Legislative Director at ELPC, working in DC with the Midwest Congressional Delegation and National Coalitions to advance supportive clean energy, clean water, and clean air and transportation reform policies. So we're thrilled to have you both with us today. Um, And we would like to start uh, with Steve, why don't you just give us an overview of what ELPC is, brief history and mission of your work. Sure, thank you, Lene, and and thank you for having Ann and I uh, today with you. And as as your co-host, Olivia, good to be with you too. Uh, The Environmental Law and Policy Center is a very Midwestern-centric environmental group. Um, Many times when people think of environmental groups, you think of the big national groups that are on the either East Coast or West Coast. But ELPC is uh, based and headquartered in Chicago. And we have several satellite offices in Midwestern states. So we're very, that's why I say we're very Midwestern focused uh, and We focus on, of course, uh, uh, the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River uh, for for, um, clean energy in in the central states, uh, solar, wind, uh, renewable energy, clean energy. Uh, Also, we we focus on uh, water impacts and agriculture and nutrient pollution. Um, But we, we, we aren't so far to the left you know, we recognize that the uh, economy is very important to uh, the Midwest. And so we, we uh, are very mindful of economic impacts. We think businesses can do both and state governments can do both, that you can be mindful and protective of our natural resources 
at the same time uh, by being mindful of our economy mm-hmm. because we, we need both. You can do both. And that's kind of what we pride ourselves on that we're uh, really working uh, at both ends of that spectrum. Uh, so we're very happy to, you know, the, to help you celebrate uh, the April as the Earth Month. And um, I will let Ann give her what she does for EOPC from Washington, DC. Well, I don't have much to add to Steve's um, description of ELPC other than, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, you know, to protect, as Steve noted, the Great Lakes, but also work across the Midwest for clean energy and climate solutions. So um, happy to have this conversation. So we're ready for the first question, Lene. Okay. Well, Olivia, do you want to ask the first question, the the big question? Yeah. So... The biggest, most basic, and most foundational question, in my opinion, is how bad is it? Well, Olivia, um, I've been with EOPC and working on this issue, these issues for a little over 10 years. And when we started talking about, uh, uh, back then it was called global warming was the big focus. And that was, of course, because of what Al Gore had been promoting uh, the dangers of a, a warming climate and global warming. So we have estimated uh, that the temperatures last year, now that was a COVID year. And so we did see emissions go down last year, but now they're starting to tick back up again. And we're, uh, some estimates were back to the ni- 2019 levels. So the global average temperature last year was 1.5 Celsius over the industrial area. And we all know that, you know, the estimates that if it gets over two uh, degrees Celsius, that's when we really are going to uh, reach some levels that will be difficult to turn back. So it's, it's, I wish I could say we're getting better, but we are uh, making some progress. And that is where, you know, we, we focus on policy. And so while, you know, we are seeing the impacts of the extreme weather events locally here in Iowa, this is a global problem, what's going on around the world. Uh, And we are seeing the impacts in Iowa as it impacts agriculture. Uh, It impacts our, our, of course, our everyday life and our schools and our businesses, our cities, our communities, and you know places where we live, and so these impacts, um, you just have to kind of watch. We've already had, I think, so far uh, this year some 15, 16 extreme weather events uh, around the country. So it is, you know, the the uh, rainstorms are getting more severe, uh, the windstorms are more severe uh, in California. We're seeing drought that's more severe. And, you know, um, agriculture, my background is in agriculture and farming. And so I have seen just since I had been farming and since uh, left farming, um, we didn't have these extreme weather events that we have to deal with now. And that really impacts when you are sort of, you know, when you plant your corn and your soybeans, you're at the mercy of, uh, are we going to get enough rain? Well, it always seems like we always got timely rains. And now it's the rains we're getting uh, are 
not only more extreme, but they're at odd times of the growing season. Uh, August always used to be a dry month. Well, now August can be a very wet month. Uh, so it's just really kind of upsets what you, you know, are trying to uh, grow in your land. And so, yeah, things are, um, I, I would say things are on target to, we, you know, with, with the aggressive nature of where the Biden administration wants to set its, its goals, I think we're going to be um, right up to the wire on where we need to be. Yeah, yeah. So, Anne, give us in, in brief overview, what are those key contributing factors that, that when you're working in policy, you're trying to tackle? Well, and I, you know, we have to look at across our economy for the sources of the pollution that's causing climate change. You know, one can think of it as, you know, climate pollution is essentially going up in the atmosphere and it's making a thicker and thicker blanket, you know, that's keeping more and more of the, of the heat trapped and, you know, around the planet. And, you know, again, it's not just warmth as, as Steve noted, it's changing weather patterns, changing rainfall patterns, intensity of storms changing, um, you know, weather patterns changing across the country. Um, you know, but we have to look at uh, how we get our electricity, how we travel in our transportation sector. We have to look at the industrial sector. We have to look at agriculture. You know, these are all sources of, of the pollution that is driving climate change, our energy sector, oil and gas and methane pollution. You know, these are all sources of climate pollution, but we also have to recognize there are solutions to each of these sectors, you know, whether it's um, increasing our use of renewable energy and battery storage storage so we can decrease our dependence on fossil fuels for electricity, um, you know, trans, uh, electrifying our transportation system. Um, you know, there are an increasing number of, of electric vehicles available to consumers, um, you know, who want to buy a, a car or a light duty truck for, that's electric for their everyday travel. Um, but we can also get electric buses, electric school buses, electric transit buses. Um, you know, so there are all sorts of opportunities to move quickly with electrifying um, and cleaning up our electricity sector, electrifying our transportation sector, uh, and, and steps we can take um, in the ag sector as, as well. Um, right. So there are a lot of sources, but there are a lot of solutions, and that's you know, really where we're focusing. Okay. And, and I would just add, you know, it, it really, uh, the Biden administration is setting the tone. Uh, they're taking aggressive action, not only to rejoin the Paris climate agreement, which, you know, we, we, you know, the U.S. historically and today has been the biggest emitter of carbon in the atmosphere. We need to lead on that issue. We can't take a back seat. And so it's pretty clear that the Biden administration with their aggressive goals to be net zero by 2050 is driving, that goal is driving the policy. And so it's exciting to see that now, for example, in Iowa, at the Iowa legislature, the last climate report Iowa DNR did, and it was a pretty comprehensive report, was in 2010. Hmm. Hmm. So we are long overdue to yeah. kind of catch up to what is happening at the federal level. Uh, fortunately, we're seeing there at the local level, there have been some cities in, in Iowa that have, you know, they're not waiting for the legislature to act on, on setting goals. So my point is that you need a government to set the goals and then the policy will follow. 
And hmm. that's what is occurring right now at the federal level. It's not occurring at the state level, but fortunately it's occurring at the local level. Yeah. You saw that with Des Moines uh, passing uh, earlier in January, the historic uh, net zero by 2035, 24-7. Again, that's the goal that all of Des Moines electricity will be a net zero by 2035. So that means us and you know, the residents in Des Moines using the electricity will be clean energy net zero by 2035. That's, that's what we need at the state level. So what are some of the other key policies or solutions in the future that need to be implemented um, to address these issues on the state and federal level? I can tackle that on the federal level, Steve, if, if, if you want, and then, and then sure. skip. Talk. So I mean, at the federal level, you know, this week is gonna be a big week uh, in, you know, with, with President Biden traveling on March 31st to Pittsburgh to announce a big uh, Build Back Better plan, you know, something he campaigned, campaigned on to really announce an enormous uh, plan of, of investment in, you know, uh, tackling the important climate goals that we need to, to tackle. Uh, so, you know, policies for clean energy, policies for clean transportation. Uh, I Likely there will be policies or, or uh, policy options for the ag sector as well in there. Um, so it really is looking at the, at the plan and, and as Steve noted, the agenda that president Biden is laying out, uh, will need Congress to act on that. You know, some, some things can be done through the administration, through, uh, the environmental protection agency, setting standards for cars and, and, and trucks, setting standards for heavy duty vehicles, uh, to reduce emissions and, and drive new technologies into our vehicles. They can also do that for the electricity sector. But we really will need the president to lay out a policy agenda and for Congress to act, you know, to ensure that we get all of the right policy levers in place and the, and the, and the money going in the right places so that we can get the solutions we need. And to jump in here really quick, it's, it's, it seems a shift that we have an administration that can manage working at multiple levels with all the integrated sectors which is exactly what you need to tackle this, right? The, the working in silos or with just one sector at a time will not cut it. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. I mean, we, we, you know, one thing we can, we can see certainly with the Biden administration is not just a president and a vice president who understand how government works uh, and are dedicated you know, public servants, but uh, you know, lining up an administration across every federal agency from the Department of Energy with former Michigan Governor Granholm to uh, Secretary Vilsack from Iowa uh, to the Department of Transportation from uh, with Pete Buttigieg from Indiana. You have them putting in people across the government who are ready to go, have, have the support they need and the direction they need to ensure that every single aspect of the federal government is driving towards the solutions we need to address the, the climate crisis that we were talking about at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what should the state be doing? Uh, and, and Ann did a great job of laying out at the federal government and that's exciting to be watching that happen. So the state could be doing much, much more than what they are. Um, I'll just focus on a, a couple of the sectors, but I did wanna say, you know, Iowa has a great renewable energy story. 40% of our electricity is generated by utility scale wind. Now that, that that 
didn't happen just on its own. That was driven by policy. Iowa had one of the first renewable portfolio standards in the country back in 1983. That started uh, the uh, investor-owned utilities in Iowa, Mid-American and Alliance, to start taking a look at what renewable energy resource makes sense for them, and right off the bat, it became wind. Now, it took a while for them to really start uh, building a lot of wind farms, but once they started, they recognized that this is a really a cheap energy resource. And the benefits that Iowa got by having leaders in the wind energy with MidAmerican is that we developed the supply chain. We not only had the turbines to, to build and, use, and generate uh, electricity, we built the blades, we built the turbines, and we built the towers. And that supply chain has been a very great economic impact to Iowa. We think the same thing with solar could happen. Uh, so EOPC just recently released uh, our uh, wind and solar supply chain report, and we have identified 113 uh, solar and wind uh, energy companies that are in that supply chain. Now, right now, many of the solar, who's in the solar supply chain are the installers. Mm -hmm. The only manufacturing we have in the state is a company called Power Film in Ames, where they make a thin film uh, technology. Instead of having the, the uh, uh, photovoltaic uh, uh, panel, their, their uh, technology is uh, that it can be used like on a tent and the army will have that thin film on a tent to provide em, uh, energy wherever they're lo located out in the field. But we could have uh, a supply chain and, and I was on a webinar with uh, Secretary Granholm uh, last Friday and she announced, and this is what they're doing already without any guidance or appropriation from Congress, they've targeted $128 million to begin more research into solar. Their goal is to get the cost of solar down to two cents per kilowatt hour by the year 2030. So that's the goal and it's driving the internal policy of that agency. And they're gonna pour that money into companies doing research on new solar technology so that solar panels can become even more efficient. Well, we need to, to you know, have some Iowa innovation and companies that could access resources like that. That's the kind of thing that will happen uh, when you have a, a federal government uh, willing to put resources into research and development. But so that's the Iowa story with renewable energy, something more they could, uh, Iowa could do in the transportation sector, and this is an issue I've been working on since uh, 2010, 11, and 12, is passenger rail. Mm -hmm. So an environmental group is promoting passenger rail. Why, why would they do that? Well, it's to get cars off the road. It's to put people in on trains. And so this is the uh, Chicago to the Quad Cities, to Iowa City, to Des Moines, to mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Council Bluffs, that corridor. Um, and, and with a president and a secretary of transportation that are passenger rail guys, Amtrak is expected to, they're going to request um, uh, resources so that they can build out more of these uh, corridors and legs around the country. 
and this would be for higher speed passenger rail. It's not a bullet train, but it's a train that can go up to 89 miles an hour. And, and that will, um, that's been very popular in Iowa, except for the Iowa legislature. Uh, they put the brakes on this back in 2010 and 2011. And so we're hoping to restart that. That's an example in the transportation sector, along with the things Ann mentioned with electric transit buses, which Des Moines has seven electric buses now. Uh, EOPC wrote a letter uh, to the Department of Transportation for that grant so that they could uh, get seven buses. Uh, Mid-American put up some resources uh, and, and the buses were just delivered, uh, uh, I don't know, a month ago or so. And so they're testing it out for a year to see how it goes. But those are the kinds of things that Iowa should be helping uh, in the transportation sector. In the ag sector, one of the things I focus on is soil health uh, because uh, just by putting uh, a tillage equipment in your field, putting the knife in soil disturbs the habitat of all the microbes that live under the soil, but it also emits greenhouse gas emissions come from that, from just cultivating a, a field. So if you do are paying attention to soil health, uh, where you are, are uh, no-till farming, and no-till means you're planting corn by not tilling the field first. You're just planting the corn in your field. Uh, that does that has much less greenhouse gas emissions. That's better for soil health. All the microbes that live in the soil, their habitat um, isn't disturbed with, with that knife going in the soil. And what uh, research is finding that when you are adding organic matter uh, or letting the corn stalks and the bean stalks just decay, that adds food for the microbes. And you can actually, uh, you don't, you're not sacrificing yield, you're actually getting uh, where you don't have to spend as much money per acre to, for inputs. So it's about profitability per acre. And a benefit is not only a climate benefit, but it's a clean water benefit because the, the nutrients in the soil you're putting less nutrients in the soil, synthetic uh, nutrients, and allowing the natural occurring nutrients to kind of take over. And again, it's about profitability per acre and not productivity per acre per se. Mm -hmm. Those are uh, some things that the state should be focused on. So it, we have just a few minutes left here, which, which always happens. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess in, in kind of the lightning round, we'd like to hear your thoughts on, you know, just final words of wisdom. What, what from your vantage point, which is, you know, deep with, with experience and knowledge and, and you're working in the, in the heart of this, you know, what would you want to share with our listeners? And along with that, the second point is if you have a book, we're going to, have a book club, I guess, this month that you would recommend our listeners pick up or that has has resonated with you, share that as well. So, Anne, we'll start with you. Well, I, you know, I think one thing that people really need to, to do is, is understand the science of climate change is, is very real. Uh, it is it is happening and you know we need to we need to act quickly I mean it really is a matter of looking ahead into the future and thinking about what kind of planet 
we want to leave our kids and, and grandchildren and future generations? Is it one where they can, uh, you know, have a safe climate to live in and, and continue to farm if you're in Iowa or uh, live on the coasts without sea level rise? I mean, there's a lot of things at stake and, you know, we need to, to sort of embrace change, uh, but make sure that that change happen, happens in a way that's equitable um, and allows people to um, transition to, to new opportunities if that's what's needed. Um, so we do need to invest in, in a just transition, but we also need to ensure that we and, and, and recognize that there are huge opportunities um, in, in tackling the climate crisis. So I think those are important things to, you know, to think, to think about. Um, I'll let Steve go and then I'll come back to the book. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, um, since I've been with EOPC, I've seen a change in the discussion around climate. Back... Uh, uh, we've done we've done some work with some presidential candidates during the caucus season where we would talk to presidential candidates about at that time early on was global warming back in 2008 and the Republicans just they, they, they their ears turned off as soon as anybody said the words global warming they just didn't want to hear about it well this last go around Republicans are now talking about climate change in a way that they've never talked about it before uh, EOPC did some uh, focus groups with Ann Seltzer where we specifically targeted congressional districts that flipped from red to blue and talked to Trump voters, people that voted for Donald Trump four years ago. And we started talking to them about the environment and climate change. And they wanted to learn more. They had questions. Now, these weren't the elected officials. These were just rank and file Republicans that voted for Donald Trump. It's like they were hearing about climate change for the first time. Some of their questions were really elementary, but seeing that shift where now they're willing to listen, I think that is very, you know, I was really uh, optimistic to hear that. We just need to get the Republican policymakers now <laughs> that the voters are further ahead than I think some of the policymakers are. Now, not every Republican policymaker, but a large part of them are, are behind yet. Um, and I'll, I'll say the book I'm reading is A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Uh, my sister got me that book for Christmas. I'm reading it and kind of reliving uh, the fun times back in 2008 when he was first elected and going through the caucuses and, and the staff people that were, you know, their grassroots organizers were people that I knew. Uh, and so it's kind of, it's, I really enjoy reading, reading that book. It's, he still resonates with his optimism about the American spirit and the American values. It still resonates today. Yeah. Very good. So Anne, did you think of one? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, and it's not a book I'm reading right now. It's a book I read in the past, but Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. And I, I bring that up because, you, you know, that, that is a book about the impact that we people uh, can have on the environment, you know, in that case, you know, primarily on birds. Um, but that, you know, through responsible action and policy change and, and uh, you know, we can, we can address those, the problems we're causing and move forward in a different way. You know, so I think that just reson resonates for me, um, you know, in terms of, of the climate situation we're in, because, you know, we, we do know what's causing the climate crisis. We do know what the sources are of climate pollution. Um, we know what the solutions are. I mean, obviously, Steve noted, we need to do more research and we need to do more development and we need to get more technologies and more options out there. And DOE will do that. And this administration will do that. But, but you know, we, we need to sort of recognize that we can have an impact on the environment and we can address that impact. 
Very good. Well, Olivia and I will share our books on the website and on social media. So, but thank you, Steve and Anne, for joining us today. Thank you, Olivia, for co-hosting this series. Thank you for having me. Thanks um, very much. Yes, and thank you for the invitation. And I look forward to uh, the rest of the month. Yeah, and and, and, and remember. The, you can go to the yourgreenportal.com. That's where the podcasts and blogs will be um, for the show, as well as for the whole series. And until then, tune in next week. Stay safe, stay healthy. And thanks for listening. Thank you Thank all. You. Thanks a lot. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.